Let's take our Bibles, and if you have a Bible or New Testament, I'm going to be in 2 Peter, and then I'm going to be in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 4, just put a marker there, 2 Peter 3 is where we're going to start. So today, uh, we, we go to You Ask For It. One of the questions that was asked is this, uh, what does the future hold? Uh, what's the future like? Uh, are we in the last days? Those kinds of questions. Now, before we get into the actual question, let me tell you this. Most of the sermons you read in the Bible by Jesus are answers to questions. In fact, you never, listen to me, I, I rarely say the word never, you never hear Jesus preach through a book of the Bible. He didn't go, okay, this week we're doing Numbers 3, next week Numbers 4. I'll put a marker there, we'll come to Numbers 5 the following he didn't ever preach through a book. So people that tell you, oh, that's the only way to preach, probably not true. Jesus never did it. Uh, furthermore, the disciples never did it. So the next generation never preached through Genesis all the way through. They just didn't. And they had it to preach. They had the Old Testament to preach, and they didn't do that. They were all over the Old Testament when they preached. It was very topical. But you know, the, the best sermons that you remember are when Jesus met a woman at the well. What did he talk about? water, water of light, right? He healed a guy, put, put salve on his eyes, talked about light and seeing. He, he, he's teaching and he breaks the, the loaves and the fish, right? You remember that? Do you remember what the actual text was he preached? No, you don't. You just remember the miraculous teachable moment. And, and so the best things you remember are answers to questions that you have. Those are the teachable moments for you. And so that's why we decided, let's do this series for the summer and just answer some of the great questions that we have and, um, you know, kind of just bizarro kinds of questions, like do bald people have dandruff? You know, and that one came in. We're probably, that's probably not a biblical question. Um, you know, they're just great biblical questions. So, and this is one of them. It is a very teachable moment. In fact, the disciples even asked the question, Matthew chapter 24, um, Jesus was sitting at the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately and said, um, when, is, when will this happen, what you're talking about? When's that going to happen? And how do we know the signs of the end times? And that's the whole sermon of Matthew 24 and 25. In the last days, and he begins to describe it. There'll be disasters and, and floods and there'll be issues that you'll be dealing with and there'll be wars and rumors of wars and people will run away to, to hide, to protect themselves, it won't do any good. And he begins to quote Old Testament passages and this will become kind of the, the it's called the Sermon on the Mount, not Sermon on the Mount, Mount of uh, Discourse in the Mount of Olives. He, that, uh, that Olivet Discourse will become the piece that First Thessalonians will address and then First, Second Peter in the course of the book of Revelation. So it's very, very scattered what is going to happen in the future. But in the midst of that, he's answering a lot of the questions. One of the questions he never does answer is when's it going to happen? When will the Lord really come? And he says, I I'm not going to tell you that because nobody knows. So if you have a book at home and, and that author knows exactly when the Lord's coming back, he's lying because nobody knows. Not even the angels know, Jesus said. So not, if, if the angels don't even know, probably the guy who wrote your book probably doesn't know either. He just needed to sell a book so he can pay for his boat. So anyway, <laughs> you can't blame him. But if you're like me, I pick up the newspaper, I turn on the radio, I have media stuff just blinks through, 
and and when it comes across the line there are you know, if you watch the floods in the u.s we've been in drought disaster drought and i talked to a guy in colorado a week ago and he just it's just raining when it's not raining we have hail <laughs> well you know <laughs> sorry we don't we've got bright sun low humidity it's 80 degrees don't call me in august because i'll be in the basement because it'll be like 100 percent humidity in august but the weather patterns are crazy are they not they're disasters and you know what the bible talks about that becoming part of the end time peace in fact if you were to read the bible and then look at our newspapers you'd think that it is the end times and i think it might be but i have real happy news for you 100 years ago they thought that was the end times <laughs> 200 years ago they thought well this could, it can't get any worse than this kids are chewing gum in school it's the end times <laughs> yeah yeah, and when I went to high school, it was the girls in the school are chewing tobacco. That was nasty. Don't kiss a girl chewing tobacco. Now we wished it was just that, right? Yeah. Some of you are going, hey, that's a little meddling. Yes, it is. It's disgusting what they do. So you think it must be the end times. Here's what we know. Some people say, well, don't study end times. Do something practical. Do something that will help me today. And end times studies do help you today. Because when you realize the Lord's returning, you tend to live ready, right? I mean, if your mother's coming to town, what do you do? Clean the house, right? If my mom's coming to town, I get a haircut. And then I put it in a baggie and say, Mom, this is my hair I just cut for you. And by the way, Mike and Jim are still bald. It's my brothers. Hand this to them the next time you see them, would you? Yeah. I love my brothers. And yes, they have dandruff even though they're bald. It's a biblical question. Some people say, don't, don't even address the issues of prophecies. They're not all that practical. Here's the problem with that. The Bible talks prophetically all the time. There are 1,200 prophecies in the Old Testament. Prophecies that, that were completed in the Old Testament. Some completed in the transition. The 400 years of silence between Old Testament and New. Some of it was fulfilled in the New Testament. Guess which one that one was? Uh, you know, that would be the Savior coming. But then some of it was actually prophetic of things that haven't happened quite yet, which is down the road, the ultimate, the millennial kingdom, new heaven, new earth. Some of that Old Testament uh, has been fulfilled, some of it not yet, but 1,200 in the Old Testament, over 570 in the New Testament. A fourth of the Bible, when it was written, actually was written prophetically. When God, for instance, said prophetically to know I'm going to flood the earth, build an ark, that's a prophetic moment. And it did happen. It's fulfilled. Now, it is already fulfilled, which tells me, too, this. When God speaks, write this down if you're not writing anything else down. When God speaks, he means it. He means it. And if you don't get it, it's not God's fault. It's that we don't quite understand it. Okay? So there's sometimes we just don't fully get it. But prophecy is is rich and deep and wide throughout the scriptures in the new testament 23 of the 27 new testament books have prophetic messages or moments in them so what will the end times be like here are three questions what will they be like how do i deal with it and then thirdly how do we live in light of the fact that it's the last days because i have i have good news for you even if these are not the last days they are your last days Okay, because you, just as sure as you're born, you will die. It's going to happen. I will die. 
You don't want to live to be 200, do you? I mean, who wants to be a raisin? Just think about it. Look in the mirror and see what's like dropping and drooping and flapping and sorry. You'll never eat meat again, will you? You become vegetarian after this. But, but you don't want to live forever here on earth. You, there are times you've finished the course, you've kept the faith, you've loved the Lord like the Apostle Paul wrote. There's a crown waiting for me in glory. I'm ready to go. Nothing wrong with living that way. I make fun of my mom all the time only because it's so easy. I love my mom. Some of you need to know that and because there's a chance she's listening to the CD someday in the future. Mom, I do love you. But a few years ago, she had open heart surgery. My dad had already gone to heaven. He died four years ago. A couple years ago, she had open heart. She complained to me a few months ago, Dave, I just, I'm, I'm homesick. I love your dad. I, I know that, Mom. It's good. We've encouraged her to go hang out at a Panera somewhere in Central Florida and meet a rich Jewish Christian guy who drives a pink Cadillac, marry him, you know. You're saying, that's pathetic. It is, but it's Florida. I mean, it's just what it is. So she says, I just want to die. I want to, I'm going to go see your dad in heaven. She doesn't even say, I want to go see Jesus. She says, I want to go see George. She misses my dad that much. They were high school sweethearts. I said, Mom, that's not going to happen. She thinks I'm telling her she's going to hell. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, Mom, it's not going to happen. Said, Why? You just had open heart surgery. You're going to live forever now. I mean, your, your heart's really good. She's like, give me the bacon and eggs. I'll clog that thing back up again. <laughs> Mom, you don't understand, do you? Since she's had the Roto-Rooter thing, she's going to last a long time. That kind of ticked her off. She said, you know, if I had known that, I would not have had the surgery. <laughs> okay, better living through better health, you know. So, But you, you just need to live ready to meet the Lord. I, you know people who are ready to meet the Lord. They've fought the fight, they've finished the course, they've kept the faith. It's a good thing. Go home to heaven. You've done your, your job on earth. It's a good, a good thing. I've been with people who are strong believers in Jesus Christ. They're ready to meet the Lord. It's a home going. And, and they say, don't hold me back when I die. My grandmother Huffman was a, a strong believer in Jesus. She was also an emergency room nurse. As she aged and she went uh, for extended care, she, back in that day, they didn't have computerized. They, they, had the, they had a clipboard at the end of your bed. They'd drop in the, a little pocket. And she, she told the nurse and then my parents, who were in charge of the medical care, she said, you write on there, no theatrics. In other words, when I go, don't resuscitate. I'm ready to go to heaven. Nothing wrong with that. Not a thing wrong. So how do we live? What's it going to be like? And how do we live in light of all this? Because you need to just be ready to meet the Lord. Second Peter chapter 3. Here are the signs. Verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, by the way, this is what the study really is. I'm just, I just did a word study on last days. Here it is. Last days, mark it down, underline it. Scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Verse 4, they'll say, where is his coming? He promised. They're going to say, they're going to doubt the very word of God. They'll have an evil agenda of sorts. And they'll say, where is his coming? He promised. Ever since the ancestors died, everything that goes on as it was since the beginning. They're saying, it's not going to happen. He's not going to keep his word. Verse 5, but they deliberately forget. Do you get that? They deliberately forget 
that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Wow. In the last days, mark it down, scoffers will be on the rise, critics will make fun of Christianity, it'll make Christians look crazy for trusting the Lord. There'll be an evil agenda, they'll have their own evil desire, and they'll lie often in order to make it seem like it's the truth. If you tell a lie often enough, right, it becomes the truth. It, because it becomes the normal thing. And people will then ch they'll challenge God's word. They'll say, where is the promise of his coming? We don't see anything happening. It, we, you must be missing it, or it's already happened, or you've already, you've already done and that And the reason they do that is they want to be in charge. Why? Because we want, we want to be in charge of our lives. We don't want to hand our, our lives over to the Lord. We think we can manage them better. That's called idolatry. And people will deliberately forget the truth. Ah, I forgot. You didn't forget. You just suppressed it. That's Romans chapter 1. We want our version of the truth because it's all about us. And it will have bits, get this, of personal rights and that personal rights moments when we, and by the way, we all support personal rights and human rights, but, but what that ends up looking like eventually is I want to be in charge and I want to call the shots and that sounds too much like Lucifer who said, I, I want to be like the Most High. I want to be in charge. See? If you want to be in charge and, and, and we end up with a culture that's all in charge of their own lives, then everyone will do what is right in their own eyes. Read the last chapter of the book of Judges, and that's exactly what that culture had. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and it was chaos. Because you can't do that, because it's all very subjective in truth. So don't think, oh, well, you know, my generation is the worst, so it's, it, it, you know, the Lord's going to come back. You have to understand the Lord is very patient in regard here, and since no one knows, we have to be faithful to what we do know. Here's what we know in America right now. In the 1920s, a generation started that went to 1945, and, and that generation basically two-thirds of Americans were what we would call Bible-believing Americans. Uh, uh, Bible-believing Americans who, who not only trusted God, they had a, a sense of Godwardness, moral code of right and wrong, and there was a justice system that seemed to work within the, the moral code of their own lives. Right after the war, that seemed to slip, and it slipped down to 35% of what we call Bible-based believers. And by the way, these are the leaders of America today. And I see the moral code slipping because only a third of them really adhere to the scriptures, but they're the governors, the presidents, CEOs. They're, they're really the leaders in America today. The next wave that came after the boomers was called the busters, 65 to 83, and it dropped again. And then in this generation, the millennials are called the bridgers. Uh, it has dropped again. And the reason I give you those stats is this. You, you think it's getting worse, and it is, but not around the world, in America in particular, but not necessarily around the world. I think what's happening is the hand of God, because we don't, as a nation, bless God, God pulls the blessing from America. So when we think of America being in the prophetic moment, I'm not sure it will be. If he doesn't come soon, I think the, the, the church planting, evangelistic movement, all that has moved to South America, has moved to China, South Korea. There are other places where the word of the Lord is being received and revered. It's a scary thought 
to think about that we would be the course and that what religious church-driven sociologists say we're headed on the same course that England was on just the generation before us if you were to go to England today Middle Eastern religions are the fastest growing and soon to be the takeover denominations of England and because of that the churches are empty and now are museums basically because there's just not a lot of faith there. And go back 200 years, England was the missionary sending country of the world. Of the world. I say all that to say this. We, we love our country, but you have to understand, it, prophetically, we may not be in the future if, if we don't get our act together. By the way, that's why we do what we do. It's the reason I use a contemporary version of the Bible. It's the reason we project words. I, I, frankly, you know, I sang the song this morning, Indescribable. I don't need the projector. I know that song. I don't do that for me. Uh, and the motion that goes with it, you know why we do that? It's because the, the next generation, the, not the boomers, but the busters and the bridgers, everything is about the motion. They're always doing two or three things at the same time. And if there isn't motion and there isn't color and something happening, you're probably going to lose them. So most of what we do here is to reach that future generation. So don't think, oh, we do that for our own convenience. I don't need it, nor do most of us in the room. We do this for the next generation. If you did it for me, I'd be singing an old worship song from the 70s. <laughs> Kumbaya, a little lighter, I'd be good to go. Don't even need a projector. Because we know the words. So uh, when you think church is about you, it really isn't. You read the book of Acts, the church was always about the very next generation. And if it becomes self-absorbed, that will be a neat but bleak future for that church. And we can see that in, in denominations today. Denominations that have a very neat but steady, predictable kind of future, they're also aging and they're dying. And they should be, because they aren't not making the unchurched person the real target or the agenda of their, of their mission and vision. Now, having said all that, um, how do you deal with this? Uh, verses 8, 9, and 10. Do not uh, forget this one thing. Verse 8. Dear friends, don't forget this one thing. The day with the Lord is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. He's saying, forget this time deal. Stop trying to figure it out. And by let me stop here and tell you this. I think that there is a schedule here. There's going to be a rapture. The church will be taken away. There's a tribulation period, seven years. There's a battle of Gog and Magog. There's a return of the Lord. There's, there's a big Armageddon scene. The Bible talks about that. There's a millennial kingdom. And I've got that chart, and I've preached it before. And, and my chart's, you know, pretty good. It's pretty solid biblically. But there are other charts that are a little bit different, and that's fine too. I don't think it is an issue of how your chart really looks. I think the real issue is, are you ready to meet the Lord? That's the real issue. So he says, it's like a day, and a thousand years like a day, and a day's like a thousand years. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You get this? He, he is patient with us. So don't forget, he still holds the truth. And, and it isn't that the world is out of control and he, the Lord doesn't know. The Lord is not in heaven going, oh my, I never saw that Iraqi, Irani thing coming. 
The Lord's not in heaven wondering, what are we going to do with Israel and Palestine? You know, that does not scare him. He is patient, and he's using those moments to bring people to the Lord, to realize the Lord is the only answer to this. So he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. But thirdly, he wants all to repent, verse 10 now, and the, and the day the Lord will come will be like a thief. He will come in a moment. You don't realize it. It just happens in a moment. It's just gone. So when it is over, it is absolutely over. So you have to live ready. That's the big key. Now, let me tell you what Satan will do. Satan will, will do something to you to get you off target, to get you thinking or doing something else, to get you off of the big idea. Now, there's a way to illustrate this, and, but you need to help me with this. I will start the nursery rhyme, and you will jump in as soon as you know it. Are you ready? So don't leave me hanging. Okay? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. Okay, good night, kids. Have a sweet dream. Right? That's what you talk. By the way, when you had pictures of Humpty Dumpty, did he look like a big egg to you? And when he broke, he looked like scrambled eggs, which was like evil, wasn't it? I can't, so then you go to breakfast the next day, I can't eat Humpty. That's just cruel, right? Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And, and here's what happens. The enemy would like to redirect you on this. We live in the land of redirection, don't we? That's kind of what our zone in America is. So the first thing is we bring out some people to ask, how do you get up on the wall? What was he doing there? And uh, why weren't there more guards at the wall? And when he had the fall, why didn't the EMS show up sooner? And we want to run track of the 911 call, and we want to see how long it was before everybody got there to clean up Humpty. And, um, and then, by the way, oh, where were the rails? There should have been rails on that wall, right? And there should have been, I mean, where were the... the American disabilities people, there should have been a ramp to get him safely off the wall. He didn't have to jump. Was he, did he jump? Was he suicidal? No, we think he was actually pushed by the bacon. It was, he's an egg, and we think he was pushed, maybe the toast, but probably the bacon. And so all of those become redirections to the real deal, which is Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and no one can put it back together. And that's the disaster. And if you end your life in disaster, all the analysis in the world won't change the fact that it ends in disaster. But Satan wants to take that, instead of looking at the disaster, wants to somehow redirect this. And he'll redirect it by giving you rights and saying, well, that's not quite correct. Or, I saw a crazy Christian, and you, you don't want to be a Christian because there's a crazy Christian. And my answer to that is, there are crazy lots of people. I, you know, I've been to a, I was at a football game. It was cold outside. And there were five guys on the front row with their shirts off, and it was painted the team name. It was really cold. That didn't make me get in the car and leave because five crazy guys on the front row. It made me laugh at them and go get some hot chocolate. I didn't, it didn't bother me that they were cold. I, why would I allow 
crazy people to keep me from the truth. That doesn't make sense. See, you understand how that redirection works? Satan will use that all to keep you from dealing with the real issue that the Lord is coming back. And we need to live holy, ready lives. So how do we do that? 1 Peter chapter 4. Here we go. Five applications on how to do this. <clears throat> how are we going to live in the last days? 1 Peter 4. And First thing that I see is we have to think clearly. In fact, one translation of the scripture actually uses the word think, the phrase think, and then it uses the word clearly. Here in our translation, it's called sober. Sober mind. In other words, a serious not mind about it. Therefore, you have to be alert, be aware of what's happening. Be aware of what's happening around you and think clearly because other people are not thinking clearly. And it would be easy, if you know the Lord is coming, it'd be easy to run away and hide, which is just foolishness. It'd be, but in your head, you have to think, okay, in light of the Lord's coming, let's think strategically. How can we get the Lord's work done the best way we know how and, and think seriously about that. And give, and by the way, it says, we not only need to think with sober minds so that you may pray. When you pray, you get God's perspective on what is happening in the world. A, a year or so ago, I, I was having um, some emotional conflict. I wanted to get, I wanted to fix something, and I didn't have the resources. I couldn't get it fixed right. And it was really aggravating me because it was a good thing I wanted to do, and couldn't get it done and it was like and the Lord doesn't just show up in my life and talk to me it doesn't happen with some of you it does you just sense oh the Lord's prompting me to do this that that's great that doesn't happen with me but in a moment I realized the reason I can't get this done is God's working in me but if I could solve that problem then those people might not trust God and it was actually to their benefit that I couldn't solve it that I couldn't deal with it and and that only happened because I talked to the Lord in prayer about it and realized, you know what? I can trust the Lord to solve that problem. And if I'm part of that solution, great. But if I'm not, that's okay. That's what prayer does. It puts you back in that divine level where you see then what God is up to in the world. Number two, verses eight and nine. We have to develop meaningful relationships. He says you have to love each other deeply. And when you do that, you offer hospitality. And he, here's the deal. Our tendency, if you know disaster is coming, it's to cut the relationships, only deal with the people that are closest, and protect your own. And that is practicing, get this, that is practicing scarcity, not practicing abundance. I hope you get this, because there's a tendency, when we, we know the Lord's coming back, let's bag it and get out of here, instead of staying at the work and being kind to the people around us and offering hospitality. Peter is telling us, this is the point where you make the most meaningful connections. You know, uh, and, and you know this to be true, a guy told me this a number of years ago, uh, and I've, I watched it, and, it and it was absolutely true he told me he was in for a corporate transfer and he said don't tell anybody I said why not you should tell your small group he goes no I'm not going to do it I said why not he said because the day I tell them they're going to start disconnecting he knew what was going to happen he knew he'd be lonely before he left town 
So he said, I'm not going to tell him until like two weeks before. I said, okay. You understand that same thing happens with the body of Christ when we realize, oh, we may not be here that much longer and we begin to disconnect from each other, not, not care. We're just headed to heaven and we're happy to do so, but we're only going to care for the people closest to us instead of caring in an extended way. And Peter says, no, no, no. Be kind to each other. Be sympathetic, but make sure you offer hospitality. And this is during disaster time. This is during persecution of the church time. This is when he's talking about the coming of the Lord is near. Number three, we must continue to serve and make an impact. So you use, I love this about this context because we don't give the context very often. Here, use whatever gift you've received, verse 10 and 11, chapter 4, as faithful stewards. In other words, you practice using your gifts and you be faithful to them. God has gifted you. You keep using those gifts. Don't say, oh, well, the Lord's coming back. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to invest in the kingdom. I'm not going to faithfully live out God's calling in my life. Why? Because I'm headed to heaven. No, what you want is you want to be faithful all the way to the end. You want to be faithful and live, live your life with no regret, no letting off the pedal. Uh, many of us in the room uh, ran track in middle school, junior high, high school. And what did the coach always tell you? You run through the tape, right? You don't let up because that's where races are lost. You run all the way through. And so it wasn't uncommon in, when you would practice running, uh, uh, for instance, a quarter mile, we call it back then, 440. But you would, he might make you run 450, 460 to make you extend a little further and the reason he did that was to make sure you ran through the tape and that's the way you want to live your life all the way up to the day you meet the Lord don't give up and bag it too early because you'll regret that you can guarantee it number four verses 12 and 13 do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal the trial that's coming to you to test you but instead verse 13 rejoice why because you're participating in the sufferings of Christ so don't be surprised that life is troublesome. That life is troublesome. That things work against you. Why is that? Because we have an enemy that would like to throw you off and get you out of your game to get you to look away and to redirect you. And instead of looking at the way life really is, you begin to look at it through the evil one's eyes, rather than thinking seriously, soberly, clearly. So, sometimes we are shocked that how could trouble come my way? And you know what? Trouble may very well be a part of God's will to teach us to depend upon him. So we want to embrace that, really. I don't know about you, but there are times where I get into trouble, and I go, okay, Lord, I want to learn from this trouble because the real reason is not only do I want to learn, but I don't want to repeat this grade, <laughs> right? It's like the kid who goes to first grade, second grade, third grade, third grade, third grade. I don't want to do that. I want to move to fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, spiritually. So you do too, probably. So don't be surprised by the trouble. Instead, embrace it and rejoice that you suffer with the Lord. And don't wear it as a badge of pride, but do wear it as a badge to know. This is what the Lord, I am identifying with the Lord. This is what the Lord endured. 
I'm enduring just a little bit. That's not so bad. Number five. Verse 19, the end of that chapter. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So you remain committed to Christ and you don't give up just because the circumstances are bad. And because you see society getting worse, okay, you know what? That could mean that the Lord's on his way. We don't know, but we're going to stay faithful. We're still going to keep loving each other. We're going to stay at this, at, at exercising our gifts. And, and we're going to live for the Lord. And we don't give up based upon our bad circumstances. We stay at it, and we're faithful to the Lord because he has always kept his word. And, and here's the strength of prophetic moments. When you read through the Old Testament in particular and you see prophecies coming true, you realize all over again, the Lord has always kept his word. John Walford uh, is now in heaven. He was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas. He's written extensive books, things to come, on, on, and uh, with Dwight Pentecost, who's another prof there. He's written extensively on prophetic um, pieces of scripture. And, and the point of that is this. It, the fact that it all is being fulfilled exactly as it was said, it means God means what he says. And in light of that, what you read now for the future, that is exactly what God is going to do. You can go to the bank on it. So it does not hurt you to be faithful. It can only help you. To walk with the Lord and to finish well and to run through the tape. So when you suffer according to God's will, you commit yourself to the faithful creator, even though I'm suffering. Because why? This is only temporary. This is just the warm-up round because heaven is forever. And then there's the new heaven, the new earth. It'll be wonderful. So here's the big idea. The big idea of this whole thing is, are we living in the last days? The answer is yes. Even if the Lord doesn't come within your lifetime, these are your last days. You don't know how long your life will be. You do not. And you think, well, I'm pretty healthy. I tell you about a guy just this week who passed away. The guy was um, the inventor, really, for the show, the Oprah show, Dr. Phil. He had a hand in Wheel of Fortune. The guy's name is King. And you've seen King Productions show up on TV at the end of a show. This guy and his brother produced many of those shows. The guy's a multimillionaire, extremely wealthy, very creative mind, um, but really brought some people uh, to national and world levels. Well, he, he traveled to France recently, contracted an infection. They put him on a plane, brought him to Cedar sinai back in L.A., which is a great hospital. They never got that thing controlled. He died, 68 years old. Died way too early. And what's the point? It does not matter. It doesn't matter who you know on earth and how popular you might be, and how powerful you might be. It is appointed unto man once to die. After that is the judgment. So you live ready. You live a holy life, always ready to meet the Lord. From 1 Thessalonians, we read, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It will not happen until it's over. In fact, if you read back through uh, where I started, Matthew 24, Jesus will say the very same thing again. You keep watch because you do not know when the Lord will come. This is a call to you and me to live ready 
and to live holy lives. But for some of us in the room, we're not there yet. Can't live a holy life because we've never trusted the Holy One. And if you've never trusted the Lord, let me tell you, the Lord's going to come back. He'll take those who are his own. And if you don't trust the Lord as Savior, you'll be left behind. It'll be disastrous for you. And like a thief, it will come and be too late for you. My word to you today is to trust the Lord. Invite him into your own heart and life. Follow the Lord in personal faith. To the believers in the room, my word to you is to live ready, live holy. Always be ready because you do not know when the Lord will come. Let's bow for prayer. Is it possible that you could be in the room and you've come to church but you've never come to Christ? You may know about God, but you've never really committed your life to Christ. My word to you today is, regardless of what other people say or think or do, the Lord's going to come back and he's going to take his own. And you need to be ready. If you don't trust Christ, the future for you is very bleak. And it only gets worse. And I don't want to take you down a scare path, but I'm telling you, it is not going to end well. So my word to you today is to open your life to Christ. Right where you're seated, would you just... Tell the Lord in your own heart, your own words. Dear God in heaven, I, I know I'm a sinner, don't deserve heaven. I know that. I need the Savior in my life to save me from my sin. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, and you just tell the Lord, I, I believe him now to be my Savior. I trust him to be mine. It's not his plan He's not willing that any should perish, but that you come to Christ in faith. So you come. My word to you today, too, is this. If you're trusting Christ for the very first time, you just tell somebody. Some of you came with, a good friend, a good Christian friend you know. Tell them that you're making the commitment to walk with God in Christ. Tell someone in the lobby, at the kiosk, or if you want, just at the end of the service, step up to the front and tell Jerry and Shirley off to the side at the prayer side. Tell them you're welcoming Christ in your life today. You need to tell somebody, and I'll tell you why. They'll pray for you and help cheer you on. And they'll help you in the Christian life if they're a good Christian. And, and they'll, they'll just encourage you in a way you do not know about. Let's stand to our feet. And as you stand, I say to the Christians, this is the call to holy living and to live ready to meet the Lord. No more postponing, obeying the Lord. No more withholding fellowship. Uh, no more playing games. Uh, in one foot in Christianity, one foot out. No more of that. Uh, no more giving up hope or deciding I'm not going to contribute back to the body. I'm going to exercise my gifts because why? Because that's the instruction from the Lord that we live holy lives that are ready. God, help us to live holy lives that truly are ready so when you come to catch us, we live in such a way that it's no surprise and we welcome you. Seal that to our hearts and make us, when we're tempted to sin, make it so unpleasant to us 
that we would rather go towards the Lord than away, that we'd rather do the right thing than the wrong, and that we would rather find the joy in the eternal than the cheap joy of the temporary. And for that kind of perspective, Lord, we will always give you thanks and we will always applaud you because you are great. Thank you for giving to us a peek into what the future days are all about. May we walk with you faithfully, we pray in Christ's name. And the church says amen. Amen. God bless you.